Why don't you join me right now in welcoming Pastor Chris, who's been sharing with us about God's name. Looking Whoa. forward to today. Yes, be excited. Because if you're not, nobody else will be. Okay, you may be seated. Thank you, guys. You can uh, take your seats also. Who's excited about hearing the Word of God this morning? Who's slightly worried? Because I am. I'm, I'm... I'm not worthy. I am not worthy. I am healthily concerned. I'm only worried for your sake. So who remembers? We're talking about the character and the name of God and who God is so that we can more better discover who we are and who God has created us to be. And so for that to be useful in our lives, we really need to know um, all, enough about our God to be able to represent him. And so we're, we're looking at this, this idea of how to improve, to have a healthier relationship with God so that as we understand more and more who he is, we can reach out to unchurched people with a clear picture of the God that we're introducing them to. And so who remembers what the key was to, to discovering things about someone you're about to enter a relationship with? What's the first thing you need to know? Their name. And what's the second thing that's good to know? Their story. That's right. So, and Isn't that what people said? Stop it in the front row. Okay. So what have we discovered so far? We've discovered that uh, God is a, uh, an Elohim. And that he's one of the rare breed of Elohim who can create the universe. And so he, he's showing up as pretty powerful already. And uh, we've also recognised that uh, the story of the Bible tells us that in his creative capability, he, he wanted a partner. And so he created mankind to go into partnership with him to actually oversee his creation. And he gave mankind free will. He gave us real responsibility, real dignity. And the story went pear-shaped very quickly. Um, and uh, Gesundheit. Um, and so, you know, if, if it had been me as God, having failed miserably at my first attempt to go into partnership with somebody, uh, I would uh, give them the flick and start again. But God's first impulse on the failure of that relationship is to actually start to put a plan in motion to restore that relationship, to bring salvation to his creation, humanity, and to uh, bring a restoration of the original relationship that we had with God. And so we get to see another insight into God's character in that he's dedicated to upholding his side of the covenant that he's made with mankind, even when we are fairly crap at upholding our side of the covenant. So that's another great characteristic we've discovered about God. And so you remember we've, we've reached a point in the story here and we, we've built up this huge plot like a, like a movie, movie script where God has seen the suffering of his people and he's about to come down and do something about it. And so he's appeared to this guy called Moses in a burning bush. And let, let's just take it from there. Exodus chapter 3 verse 2. It says, there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses 
stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, said Moses. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. And so when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now you can imagine Moses. And there's nobody else around. There's this burning bush and suddenly it's his name. It's like, I'm here. Is there a camera somewhere? Where's the hidden microphone? What's go- Am I on candid camera? What's happening? Is he, I mean, he, he's pretty freaked out. It's like, you know, the burning bush is one thing. I've noticed that it's not burning up, but now it's talking to me. You know, speed dial. Where's my psychiatrist? And so he's a bit puzzled. And then God speaks again. In verse 5, he says, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. And so here is a place we get another insight into God's character. We've discovered God is holy. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that God is, is, is this morally uptight person? You know, you've heard the, the phrase holier than thou. You, you know people who are like that, don't you? They're, 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 they're so earthly, they're so, what is it, heavenly bent, they're no earthly good. Um, uh, and and they, they make you feel bad whenever they're in your presence because they do all the right things and make it look as though you're just sort of a worm under my shoe and you know you don't understand God and I, my and you sort of feel like oh why do I bother but that's not what what we're talking about here the, the, the holiness that we're talking about is is a question of God's uniqueness God is a unique transcendent being and to bring the stuff of this earth into his presence is unholy uh, think of it like this um as parents, you've probably had your kids do this, but uh, well, hopefully you haven't. But uh, as, a, as a kid, I remember doing this. I would go out into our backyard and we'd kick the football around and we'd, we'd sort of, and, and it wasn't neat kicking around. We'd, we'd lie in the mud and we'd get covered in dirt and our shoes would be awfully muddy and we had a dog. Uh, and so sometimes it wasn't just mud on your shoes. Um, and I w- we would come in and mum would make us take our shoes off, which is quite reasonable. So I would take my shoes off and then come in and dump them on the kitchen counter and say, what do you want me to do with these, Mum? <laughs> and I don't know why, but she used to get very upset with me when I did this. And that's because, if you think about it, the kitchen counter is holy. It is set aside for a particular purpose. It is sanctified for the preparation of food and does not need shoes with mud placed on them to contaminate that. And this is exactly what we're talking about here. Moses is wandering into God's presence and what, what's Moses doing, by the way? Before he wanders to the burning bush, what's he up to? He's tending sheep. What do sheep do? Yeah, do. Exactly, do, do. And so his sandals are covered, not only in the dust of the earth, but they're covered in sheep, do, do. And so it's not unreasonable for God to say, come on, show some respect here. We need to, you need to actually recognize that you're in the presence of somebody unique, transcendent, and holy. So that's the concept. So after that, we get a little more insight into who this God is. Verse 6 says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
So now Moses knows he's in the presence of a unique and holy being because he's that Elohim. He's heard of him. He's heard of the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he's part excited and part peeing his pants. He's suddenly realised that this isn't just a burning bush. This is the God of his forefathers that he's heard about. And so he's a bit excited because, you know, it's not often that you know, the God of your forefathers appears to you in a burning bush, but a little bit terrified that something might be going to go down here. And so this is the big reveal. This is the scene where Yahweh reveals his plan to Moses. In verse 7 it says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites and Jebusites live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. What an interesting description. What, what do you think of when you think of a land flowing with milk and honey? My first impression is that sort of there's, there's rivers of the stuff. But if you think about it, what makes milk? Cows, sheep, goats. What makes honey? Bees. So what he's saying, this is a land of sheep, goats and bees. But it doesn't sound anywhere near as sexy when you say it that way, does it? But what he's really saying is without any cultivation whatsoever, you go into this land and the resources are amazing. It's not actually saying there are rivers of milk and sort of honeys dripping from the rocks, which would be awfully gooey. Um, so if it's our stories that reveal who we are, what is this story revealing about the character of God? At its most basic, we can see that this is a God who cares deeply about his image-bearing creatures, treat other image-bearing creatures, and when there's oppression, evil and injustice, this God cares. This God internalises the pain and the grief and is driven to do something. And what is this God going to do? How is God going to act? He says he's going to do something. What does he do? Because it sounds, I mean, this is, you know, movie script build-up thing. God is going to, you know, you can almost feel the, the uh, electric sort of motor of the, the lightning bolts winding up. You know, the power's increasing. Something is going to happen. And so what does he do? Verse 10. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Israel, uh, Israel out of Egypt. And we're thinking, what the? Hang on. Didn't he just say in verse 8, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt? Doesn't that mean that God is going to do it himself? He's going to perform a miracle or something, you know, a grand gesture. What's he doing sending this, this Moses loser to Egypt? And, uh, admittedly, I think right there we have revealed a view of God that many Western Christians hold that's just wrong. We've got a view of God that if he's involved in our world, it means he just drops down miracles from heaven and sort of throws the power of heaven around on our behalf. But you have to ask the question, have you actually ever read the Bible? Because if you, if you have, you realise that that's how God almost never acts. Very rare are the moments when God actually works in history without any human mediation whatsoever. He almost always acts through his people, through commissioning people. And we don't like that. We, the first thing we think, that is a very inefficient way of doing things. 
which leads us to another characteristic of God. Efficiency isn't actually very high on the order of things God finds important. ROI and KPI are not acronyms that really resound in heaven, which is return on investment and key performance indices if you're not up with those. So God, or Yahweh, clearly focuses far more on the shaping and cultivation of the character of his people, which we don't like and which takes time. And so he's going to send Moses to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. What does Moses think of this, bad, this plan? Bad idea. He's, Moses is just like us. Because you know, he, he, said, he thinks God is going to do... He is, this is the exciting part. He's a bit terrified. You know, his pants are a little wet. But he's excited because God has just promised to come down and, and free the Israelites. And so he's excited about God moving and God says, I'm sending you. And it's like, I'm sorry, did, did I hear? And what floods into his mind first is all the excuses in the world. Has that ever happened to you in some situation at work or at church or in any form of team situation? Somebody's come to you and said, I want you to take the responsibility of. And the first thing we think is, oh, good grief, I'm not sure I'm capable of doing that. And the second thing we think is, this is going to stuff up my life completely. I've got everything in a routine. I've got my life down pat. And now this person's going to screw it up by asking me to take some responsibility. And that's exactly what Moses is thinking. He's thinking, oh, I can't actually do this. I, I don't want to do this. I mean, he, be honest. He doesn't, he doesn't want to get involved. And so what happens? In verse 11, it says, Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses very cleverly throws God a double roadblock. Because he sort of thinks, well, God, no, I've got history with Pharaoh. You know, I've killed one of his guards. I go back there, I'm toast. And then the people of Israel don't like me because they saw me kill a guard. And they said, well, if you're going to kill guards, you're going to kill us as well. So they don't like me either. So he's thinking, that'll, that'll settle it. How are you going to answer that one, God? Eh? Yeah. Can't guess, get past that. I'm not your guy. You can't send me to Egypt. And so God responds. How does God respond? Verse 12. God answered, I will be with you. And this is the sign, your sign, that I am the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Now, apart from that interesting bit of information there at the end, what does God do? He ignores the the protest completely he says I'll be with you it's like hang on weren't you listening and he's but again you see this is this is actually really important because this again is God showing what one of his major characteristics is he says in essence it doesn't matter who you are what matters is who I am and I am, and what I am, is with you. And it's actually hard for us to understand. We're used to heroes who turn up uh, at the, just at the right time. And so we imagine that God comes to the rescue when we're in a tight spot. But in the meantime, he's doing other things. Anybody ever watched Lord of the Rings? There's a, there's a great scene in the Two Towers, in the middle movie, where the... the, the, the um, people of Rohan are retreating to a fortress called Helm's Deep and Gandalf the wizard 
who is a very godlike figure. He has the right beard and everything. Um, he goes for help. And as he, he leaves, he says to Aragorn, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. And so, he, guess what? Five days later, just as the defenders of Helm's Deep are about to be overrun by hordes and hordes of orcs, Gandalf appears in the east with an army which rides down and defeats the enemy just in the nick of time. That's how we think of God. We pray and we pray and, you know, we have a lot of revelation. You know, there's always this thing about the 11th hour, that God's finally come through. It was like he was off somewhere, sort of collecting an army and he turned up just at the right time. And Oh, thank God you arrived and it's great. Where were you the rest of the time? And, and this, is, this is our westernised view of how God operates. But God says here, I am with you. And what, what does that actually mean? He's not saying in about five minutes, I will be with you. He's not saying that, yeah, at some point when you're in trouble, I'll be with you. He's saying, I am and I always will be with you. It's a statement about the present and it's ongoing into the future. Some translations of the Bible say, I am with you rather than I will be with you. Because God's not saying in the future, one day I'll be with you. He's saying, I am here, and from here on out, I will be with you. Because you see, here we've revealed another aspect of God's character. Our God is the God who is and always will be with us. He might act through us, he might commission us, but he will always be with us. And that's one of the key things we need to realise and recognise as we go through life. There are times when we feel distant from God. We feel that God doesn't care, that God's not doing anything, that God has abandoned us. And yet here we, we have one of the key characteristics of God is that he is with us all the time, never leaves us. We are the ones who become distant. And so what does it mean to have a God who is always with us? It means that he is always there to enable us to do what we have to do. Because we've just discovered that God isn't going to do it on his own. He's not going to do what Moses wanted and go and blast the Egyptians and, and set the Israelites free. He's going to send Moses. Guess what? When he wants something done in, in this world, he's going to send you. He's going to send me. And because we're normal human beings, we're going to say, but, 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 but. I can't, I can't, I, I won't, I haven't, I couldn't, I wouldn't, I shouldn't. It's late. Um, we, 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 we'll put every excuse possible forward for God. But once we get a revelation of the fact that no matter what we're facing, God is with us, then all of that goes away. I mean, this, the, it's, it's humbling in a sense. And it says, it doesn't matter who you are. Now, it doesn't, doesn't mean it doesn't matter who you are. It means that whoever you are, God can use you because no matter who you are, God is always with you. And so we need to hold on to that. That is, that is one of the key things. And, you know, I, I know you're waiting because in a, in a moment in the, in, in the scriptures, God reveals 
his name. And why his name is important is incredibly interesting. Uh, and I'll be talking about that next week. But I, I want us to, to finish today with the, the knowledge that we are empowered, not because God is going to perform miracles in our life, but because God is going to use us and commission us to do things which we may think are impossible because who are we? We have to grab hold of the fact that it doesn't matter who we are. What matters is who God is and God is with you. God is with me and we can do anything. Can I get Jordan up here just for a moment? I want to encourage you this morning that whatever you're facing, whatever you're planning whatever you're going through that hasn't been planned who knows that life is what happens while you're making other plans that at no time in our joy or in our suffering is God absent that that idea that God isn't interested in efficiency is actually an important one for us to grasp because it's often our desire and and we as humans have this desire to do things efficiently and effectively. We live in a culture that, that trains us to be efficient in what we do. And to actually realise that God doesn't care about efficiency. He cares about people. And that he's prepared to take as long as it takes to grow us as people. To, to bring something new into our life. That he does... He, he doesn't care about efficiency. I mean, his return on investment with the human race is shocking. <laughs> it is terrible. He would not get on a Fortune 500 company list. He would not be on the stock exchange because the shares would be worthless. But he sees the value in us and he is prepared to do whatever it takes to actually do what he needs to get done through us rather than overriding us he still remembers the people that he gave the responsibility and the dignity to co-rule with him in looking after this earth and his desire is to restore us to that now although you don't know it if you weren't at the chapel service this morning you've missed something because I preached a different, deeper message, the chapel service. Just means I lowered my voice for them. Um, but I do encourage you, if you the, the, we, we did actually delve a bit deeper into the meaning of God's name uh, in that service. Um, and not that what I've treated this service with is light and fluffy, um, but I... Just advertising. If you want to go a bit deeper, come a bit earlier. Um, the other thing to do before I finish is to just ask. I've talked about a God who is always, always with us. A God who has made a promise, a commitment. That he's always with us. But we actually also have to make a commitment to that. God is always around us, but until we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to let you into my heart. I'm going to let you be a part of me. He isn't always in us. And so if you're here this morning, if you've never invited God to be in your life, to be your Lord, to be your Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. 
And if you're here and you've perhaps done that before in one setting or another, but you know that at this moment, God isn't in you. You're not, you haven't let him back into your heart. You're holding him at arm's length. I want to give you an opportunity to reinvite the presence of Jesus Christ into your heart and your spirit. So can I just get you all to close your eyes? And if that's you this morning, you've never asked Jesus into your heart or you know you need to again. While every eye is closed, can you just lift your hands so that I can see it so I don't know who I'm praying for? And we'll all pray together a prayer to invite Jesus into our hearts. Anyone at all. Awesome. Let me just pray for you before we finish. Mighty God, let the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit infuse and infect every single one of us here this morning. Let, we, let us leave this place with a revelation and a recognition that you are the God who is always with us. You are with us now. You will be with us in the future. You will never leave us, never forsake us. You enable us, you make us capable. The impossible to us is just the beginning of the possible for you. And if you're in us, anything is possible. Thank you, Lord, for living in us. Keep doing it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.